So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. You know, I'm not smiling on camera or on microphone, but damn if I wasn't smiling a moment ago. I just looked at something on Instagram and my dear friend Natasha, she used to do my locks. Did you know I had locks, Julie? No, no, no. I've never seen that picture. Oh, my. All right, look. While you're sitting at your computer, go out and you Google Torinellas, go to images. You're going to find an image of me with locks. I had locks down to uh, my waist. I carried locks for 14 years. But yes, my dear, my former headdresser, uh, and she's an incredible professional. She put something up on Instagram and it was one of those memes. You know, parents are struggling with their children with this remote learning and, and school stuff. And so I, I was over here in stitches, but I'm ready to rock and roll. How are you? <laughs> well, I can't find a picture of you with okay. dreads or right, well, locks. So you. we're going to have to work on that. I got you. Um, and I think everyone's going to want to see it. But I, I am awesome, man. Last week was rough, but this week I'm feeling so good. It's been such an awesome week and uh, I'm happy to be here rocking with you. Well, so, I mean, when you say awesome, did you all do something incredible at the organization? Did you convince an organization that, uh, you know, the programming and the support that you all provide for people with disabilities is important and they had been reticent? I mean, think about it. We're tomorrow starts National Disability Employee Awareness Month. So, like, why was this week good? Let's just one thing for you. So uh, let's we'll say that. We're starting to see revenue move towards people with disabilities in ways that we've never seen it. Um, people are starting to see our value and they're starting to have great conversations. And we added some new brands to the to the table this week that I'm really happy to be able to share soon. Mm-hmm. Love that. Well, speaking of sharing, <laughs> we yes. had some folks that stood on a stage last night. Um, and, and, and so I'm just curious. I'm gonna tell you full, full, f- f- flat out. I did not waste a moment on the debate, but I mean it's timely. I gotta ask you, 
Did you watch the debate? Yeah, I'm a junkie. Okay. I'm a political junkie. I, I think you know that. We made a special meal owed to Joe Biden. What'd you One make? Of his favorite meals. What'd we you made make? a caprese salad, a right. pomodoro, and then raspberry sorbet. It was quite good. Love that. Caprese salad our... is definitely at the top of my list. Love that. Me too. Yeah. Yep. Um, God damn, it was bad. I mean, it, like, A, obviously the big elephant in the room is that the president once again cannot denounce white supremacy and i pretty much almost lost my shit thankfully i decided to take facebook off my phone for a while because i'm regularly losing my shit yeah and um yeah it was it was rough so so let's just let's just linger on that that for just a moment so when you because of course i'm catching the clips um. Yeah, I'm catching the clips. You know, my wife says something to me about uh, what he said in reference to the Proud Boys. In you know, yep. within moments, I hop hopped on Twitter because I actually said, I said you misheard him. <laughs> I said you you're saying that he said stand by. I'm like ah, uh, whatever. You just you, you you misheard the guy. You come on, let's let's give Orange Theory some credit. You you <laughs> you miss heard him and and I go on Twitter and I'm like yo this cat yeah, literally said stand by yep stand by yeah and and within minutes they had t-shirts out and banners and the the proud boys did like this is the this is the biggest ask that they could ever think to get from a US executive branch Period. It's like a full-throated endorsement, basically. Oh, absolutely. You know, forget a dog whistle. That's with the bullhorn. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's the that's bullhorn. Ex- that's the that was the that was the if a person was watching it on the internet, that was a digital billboard. If a person had the rabbit ear TV channel up, that was a advertisement uh like unlike any other. Unlike well, I shouldn't say unlike any other. Unlike any other in modern political history, that was incredible. When I when I heard it, I, I got to tell you, Julie. You know, I I didn't. Of course, I didn't watch it. I I didn't spend too much time processing it. You know, that's my favorite word, one of them. But I said there, and I'm, I said to myself, like, I just I didn't I didn't know what to say to some of my friends that are all of my friends that are Republican. Like what I I, 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 that was the first question that I asked myself. What do I say to my friends? And and I mean that my friends that are Republican. What what do I say? Do I ask them about it? What do I say? But I think that's a really great question, because I have been told as of late that I am too much of a hammer when it comes to these kind of things, and I need to try to bring more people in without hammering them. And I'm like, what the what the hell am I supposed to say? How how am I supposed to make you feel good or make you feel better and bring you past all of your crazy racism when he's he's overt about it? Like, why am I supposed to be patient? Why are you supposed to be patient? Like, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. And if we have someone who could help me with the right answer, like I would fully take that. 
Yeah, it's it was incredible. Uh, shout out to all of you who <laughs> allocated time, prepared special <laughs> dinners, fixed mixed drinks. Um, you know, whatever it was that you did to pass the time away. Were you analytical? You know, whomever you are, whomever you are, wherever you are, however you are, shout out to you for for giving some time to the political. Are they having another one? There are three more. You know, somebody said, Julie, let me tell you, somebody said on one of the radio shows that I listened to, somebody said that they felt that President Trump purposefully acted in the way that he did so that he could, for the most part, sabotage anyone wanting to do a debate, that way Mm -hmm. allowing him an out and not having to do a debate, not having to face the questions. And in your case, you said there are two more. So somebody said he purposefully acted out like I, I want people to just simply say we canceled the debates and, you know, he's probably smiling about that. You think that's plausible? I, I think it's plausible. I think that when he's cornered, he has the mentality of a, a very angry six year old um, with the temper tantrums and a whole lot more power. Um, so, yeah, if if he can if he can get Joe to cancel or even the debate commission to cancel the remaining debates, he just walks out and says, well, it's because I was so good. He doesn't even want to debate me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, uh, the, the man is it, for all the things that he is awful. He is a master of spin and he's going to do that. If we don't go forward with the remainder of the debates, no matter how he feels about them. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, Anyway, um, that happened, and you you dropped something about uh, a new normal from CNN, uh, back to normal, dealing with wellness. What's that about? Yeah, so I, I I think you've heard me say before, like during the pandemic, every day is today. Like nothing feels oh, I love like it's normal, right? I love it just that. every day is today. It, I love that. Every day is today, and you know, as a team, we we've always worked from home, and and we're as a a unit doing really well kind of in this environment. And I started to think about why, why is it that we're doing so well as a team? And I think part of it is because this is kind of our normal, right? And it's not as kind of upending for my team as it is for a lot, because we're always virtual. There are other things that, that are obviously going on that cause us distress too, but not like it does for people who've always been in the office. And I was reading this piece from CNN. It's like, we have to stop saying as, as leaders um, and as, as parents and as people um, that we can't wait to get back to normal because we have what's called a normalcy bias. Like if normal is good, bad, or ugly, we all just want to go back to normal. And the fact that we can't accept or we haven't been taught to accept that this is the new normal, um, at least for the foreseeable future, then it's causing more mental health distress, more um, angst and, and anxiety, because we're waiting in this holding pattern of every day is today. And what health, mental health experts are saying is that we need to start to adapt by saying, this is it. This is the way we're going to live for the foreseeable future. How do we make this work for us? And I think that's just really pertinent to 
all of the coronavirus fatigue and everything else that's going on going into the winter is that we all need to just kind of accept the way things are right now and create our new our new normal our new yeah. places of normal well again and you know what that sounds like to me is you know the old adage of turning lemons into lemonade and and so i yeah. i look at so many of my friends not all of them you know but certainly a, a good couple of handfuls you know they they this was like a big deal for them back in march and and when this whole covid set in and you know when uh you know workplaces started to shift and and go in and take up distributed postures folks became a, uh, more agile and remote you're right a lot of folks were looking for answers they were looking for answers around location they were looking for answers around that frenetic energy of being at the water cooler in the lunchroom going in the office and just uh, uh being around other people but found themselves in the beginning stages commiserating with uh one another like it was pulling people down the energy was crazy and so they would call me friends some of my friends would call me and i'm like Yo, we're going to be all right. Mm -hmm. We will be all right. What you just said a moment ago, like, I would love for you to have said this even last year in our first year, you're doing the pod where the businesses has an influx of business like it's never seen before. But I'm glad that you're able to say it this year. I've talked to another one of my friends who works for one of the major civil rights organizations. Donations are through the roof right now in ways That's that they've awesome. never seen it before. And so I know that, you know, inside of this pain, there's promise. And, and I think your article, which of course you will post, I think it's so spot on. Stop looking for a return to what was, let's take advantage of what we know it used to be, pull the good from that. And let's see if we can, shape it in a way that allows us to continue to grow into today. Forget the future today. What's that saying you just said? Every day is today? Today. Yeah. Yep. Every day. Yeah. Take what we knew and, and shape it into today. So I love that article uh, from CNN. Appreciate that. It absolutely is spot on. It actually reminds me, I'm trying to think of, and I, I can't quote it because I don't have that type of an elephant memory. But I recall us, um, you know, in some several sessions back, segments back, we talked about uh, mental health. And I know I referenced the story out of Canada and something. So this was a fresh update to that, especially since, you know what, we've been in COVID now, what, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. So we're, mm -hmm. we're approaching like eight months of this. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a good update. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, thank you. And I, I think you have an interesting update from a story that we talked about a couple weeks back. Um, you want to fill us in on, oh, yeah, on yeah, the UK? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, tr Trump is back, Trump is back. I mean, so, so he's back like he never left, Jay. So I'm going to give you a line from an article that I found over on The Drum. It's written by Kenneth Hine, H-E-I-N, dated 28th of September, the title of the article is New Trump Executive Order Tells Agencies to Stop Divisive Diversity Training or Else. Cool. We'll put the link up. Opening sentence. Teaching white privilege and unconscious bias are now grounds for termination according to an executive order signed by President Trump. 
So is this different than the executive order that we talked about a couple of weeks ago? So I don't want to say different. I want to say an iteration. I want to say uh, a version two, you know, V2. You know how the tech companies try mm-hmm. to get real slick and they'll say, this is our V1, this is our V2. This is V2. And the reason why I think it's important that we continue to keep our finger on this is because as you, you know, rightfully so, you know, you gave me, you gave me a little bit of elbow um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, like, yo, Torn, why are you apologizing? You remember that, right? Yeah. You gave me a little yeah. bit of elbow. And, and, and why'd you do that? Tell people that may not have caught that segment, why'd you give me a little elbow for the apology around my Facebook and other social media posts? Yeah, I I think everybody wanted to get into word semantics over what was being talked about. And you said, hey, this is going towards a ban on diversity and inclusion training. And damn straight, if you weren't right, this is the next step after reading this V2 of this executive order, they're getting pretty damn specific. And all those people that gave you shit should owe you an apology. You were spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was coming. I knew he was just simply, he was, it's almost like, you know, when you are putting down a sidewalk, you know, because you want to get to a certain place, the first thing you do is excavate. You, you do a bit of excavation. You do a little bit of leveling of the ground. You put those wooden two by fours uh, along your path, and then you start pouring the concrete. And voila, we got a pathway. And what I'm afraid of, and not afraid as in shaking, but I'm afraid of, and the the uphill battle that you know, good people like you, myself, and so many others are going to have, is that they are laying the groundwork for this sidewalk, as they are in so many other areas. And so this particular update and iteration is from. Just last week, September 22nd. Like, it's amazing because here we are in October. So I missed it. It's actually a week old. But it's it's a week old. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. And and before you go on from that, I I just want to iterate exactly how important what you're saying is, is that people who are calling and sounding the alarms who have been doing so for four years plus have been ostracized by their companies, by their families by a lot of people who said, stop acting like your hair is on fire. And I'll be damned if the hair is not on fire, right? It is a slippery slope. And every inch that we give this executive, they take a mile. And this iteration, again, to your point, is it was something simple and not overtly, you know, delineated. And now we've got version two. And it is definitely delineated. It's titled Executive Order on Combating Race and Sex Stereotyping. I want to just read Section 2A. Uh, In Section 2A, which is very, very important, I'm not going to touch on all of the flowery language and, you know, uh, we forget all of that. I'm going to focus on 2A for just a moment. 2A says, definitions for the purposes of this order, the phrase, Divisive concepts means the concepts that one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. The United States is fundamentally racist or sexist. Three, an individual by virtue of his or her race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or un 
consciously. I'm going to pause. And that right there is the piece. And it goes on. You can read the entire executive order for yourself, but that unconsciously, that was the piece of the sidewalk that happened over the last couple of weeks. Because in the beginning, if you remember, Julie, it was around critical race theory. Now he has stretched and connected it to unconscious bias training. That's really what that comes down to. Now you can say semantically, or you can use the strategic theory of, uh, or, you know, take the, take the route of, well, I just won't call it unconscious bias training. You, you, you could do that, but trust me when I tell you inside of section two, a, they are, they are going to be evaluating and listening for any of these references that are in 2A. And if you as a practitioner, as a trainer, or as a consultant, and you are dealing with the federal government or agencies, trust, if you use that language, you find yourself at the risk of how I opened it. Teaching white privilege and unconscious bias are now grounds for termination according to an executive order signed by President Trump. And not just termination, deeper in the executive order, Julie, it talks about being barred from doing work with the federal government. Right. So think about all these, right, the the Fortune 1000, basically, are all federal contractors. Yep. And so now, in your contract language, as federal contractors, you must specifically, excuse me, give disclaimer about what can and cannot be a part of your unconscious or conscious bias training regarding race and sex. And I think it's especially interesting that they pull out the word meritocracy Mm -hmm. as something that should not be spoken against and how inherently saying that meritocracy is a fallacy, which it is, is teaching anti-whiteness. This has Stephen Miller written all over it, all over it. And I'm not at all surprised that they have revised it a week later because this is how they function, right? Is everybody gets all outraged, right? And then Torin gets you know, some bullshit on Facebook because he calls it for what it is and we split hairs over some semantics and then it goes quiet and then all of a sudden it's not news because this thing has already happened. We already have that executive order. But now this executive order is pushed down to our federal contractors. It's pushed down to unions. It has debarment and suspension clauses in it. And this is much larger than the federal government that the administration oversees. It is the vast majority of fortune or of companies in this country. Absolutely. Fortune 1000 companies. And, and, and just, just to be even more clear, you, you covered it, but I want to put clarity on how you covered it. It also hits our military employees. And so, you know, when we think about some of the military employees, when we think about the Pentagon, who've had issues with some of the uh, you know, stances that the president has taken over the last, well, let's just say his term, 
Um, it's not it's not something that people are taking lightly. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, the folks that are taking issue with it, they're not all in our space. You know, these are individuals that lead agencies. These are individuals that have political appointments. Uh, these are individuals that are, 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 you know, they're professionals. You know, they are absolutely professionals. And and, and there's there's language inside of here that simply says, and, and I, I can't remember if the language applies to employees wholesale, but I do remember there was language or there is language that says, you know, military employees, people in the armed services, they have cover. If they refuse to take these sorts of training, there can be no retaliation against them. And so the, 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 the challenge that I have, and this is where I want our listeners to be thinking, you've signaled it. How will those that water down or do not believe in DNI efforts, I'll just say DNI, how will they take this and spin it in a way that supports their abandoning, their divorcing? They're not allocating resources or time or support or attention. They're not providing space. How will it allow or how will it provide provision for uh, public facing organizations? I'm sorry, not public, uh, private. Well, actually, public and private organizations, right. you know, saying, all right, well, you know, cool. The federal government doesn't have to do it. Then, then we don't have to do it either. And if the military employees have coverage, then then we should be our, our employee, you know, as an employee, I shouldn't have to take diversity training, you know, like like the Hobby Lobby stuff. You know, I I shouldn't have to you know, we shouldn't have to provide medical benefits for women who want birth control pill. You know, it always starts somewhere and then ends up spilling over um, in ways that we probably didn't expect it to to spill over. Make sense? Yeah, I mean it. It's literally the dog whistle that he gave the Proud Boys, right? Right. Stand back and stand by, because I'm gonna make it super easy for you to maintain your white supremacy and make sure that you don't have to be a part of the change that should be happening in our federal government and our workplace, because we want to maintain the the power structure that exists right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, I just want to close it with being responsible down at the bottom of the executive order in section 10. I'll only read section 10. It says this order does not prevent agencies, the United States uniformed services or contractors from promoting racial, cultural, or ethnic diversity or inclusiveness provided such efforts are consistent with the requirements of this order. And it delineates you know, from there, a number of ways that it can be or not be consistent with the requirements of this order. But my challenge is up in 2A, when you inserted the word unconscious, that is going to challenge a lot of people in this space. So keep your eye on this, uh, good people, you know, out there, keep your eye on how organizations are leveraging this executive order in your workplace and make sure that it is not um, impeding the desire for us to make progress. We haven't made enough progress. We certainly don't need to be slowing down now. Well, let's talk about another way that we're not making progress, Torin. Um, 
So yesterday, the RAND Corporation put out a very lengthy study called Trends in Income from 1975 to 2018. And what this found, or what the RAND Corporation found, is that the shift from trickle-down economics and regressive taxation policies have... Oh, trickle-down, that that 1980s phrase. Keep going. I'm sorry, 1990 phrase. Keep going. 1980s, 90s, 2017. Yep. yep. um, and, And regressive taxation policies like property tax, sales tax, those kind of things. They obviously know that they hurt the the ninety percent of Americans who are the lowest wage earners. So all of us, basically, right? But for the first time, they have been able speak to speak for yourself. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Speak for yourself. I'm sorry. Are you? Yeah, I mean, if you you're know, part I, of the one percent, you enjoy that. I'm sorry. I'll keep shifting all my income towards you. Oh, I'm sorry. So you're saying, <laughs> you're, you're saying my twenty four dollar bottle of cognac does not count? That that doesn't put me in a different class. I got, I got it. So yeah, yeah. When you get like Jay Z money, like we'll we'll talk. Okay, you, you might be getting there. Might no be worry. getting there. No worry. No worry. <laughs> no worry. But so we we've been able to quantify this, right? And what we've what Rand has has come out and said is basically that the ninety percent of wage earners should have been earning an extra $42,000 a year from 1975 to 2018. And that's what would have happened if we had not changed any of our economic or taxation policies from the 1970s. So I don't know what another $42,000 a year would do for for your family. Let me do a little bit of quick math. 1975, that's 85. 95, 05, 15. Oh, shit, oh, that's 45 years. Stop playing. <laughs> um, let me hold on, hold on. Don't go anywhere. You take oh, your time. Yeah, yeah, because see, I brought out a calculator, you mm-hmm. know, and, and this little smartphone, this, this incredible computer of mine, by the way, uh, Tim Cook just uh, crossed the billionaire status. I don't know if you know that. I, no, I, I did he, not. He's got like a million shares of of, of anyway. Holding up, so forty two k a year since seventy five is one point eight million dollars. Continue. Yes. Yes. So what we've done through our lobbying, through our taxation legislation is we have shifted $47 trillion from 90% of wage earners to the highest 10%. So that's $2.5 trillion per year that the working class and the middle class and the upper middle class have redistributed to the top 10% of Americans. And the only challenge with that, the only challenge that I have with this, this is like church service. This is like, um, this is like our podcast. To be honest, Julie, if I'm, if I'm 1000% honest, if I'm 1000% honest, our podcast is very much so like church service. Mm Mm-hmm. 
very much so like a lot of these political rallies and so many other, we are speaking to the wrong audience. Like most of the people listening to this, they care about DNI. The problem is that I wonder how many of the wealthy, the 1%, are going to read the RAND study and then say, you know what, we're going to do something different. You know what, we're going to force the Congress and the Senate to change the laws, whether they be around taxation or if the article includes some other mechanism for them to, to generate and siphon off that money. That's incredible numbers. And and I get frustrated when I hear people say there's there's no income inequality. No, they're they're fooling themselves or they're lying to you because in, income inequality is higher than it has ever been in the United States, and that includes the Great Depression, right? And I, I get what you're saying about like we're at church, maybe we're like preaching to the choir a little bit, but what I don't think. Or what I think that's differently than you and where I want to push back is, is that we continue to ask for scraps as the 90% yep. while, while the rich folks laugh all the way to the bank, all right? All the way. I agree with you. All, all the, the way. fucking way to the bank, right? Yep. To the back and, door. Yep. And so if we are honest about our DNI goals as leaders, as companies, as people of influence and power, then we have to start having tougher conversations. It, no, Jeff Bezos is not going to voluntarily give back his trillion dollar status. We start. We need to start having conversations about why any human being is worth $17 trillion and why the poorest among us need to pay that money to him. And this is the biggest DNI conversation I think that we will have in our lifetime. Frame because that. It, Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait oh. a minute. Frame that. When you yep. say the biggest DNI conversation, what does that mean? So let's say three things, right? The first thing is that there's a, an additional $17 trillion that's been lost in our GDP over the same time period due to racial economic inequality. So that's point one. Point number two is that the growth of income has happened fastest for white women and black men, but only at 16% of what we should have realized, given the same economic policy being unchanged. White men, yeah, just bear with me, I'm almost there. White men who are often told by our politicians and by our corporate leaders and other very, very rich people is that they should blame women and people of color for their lots in life, and theirs only grew at 12%. And so here's the point, right? Why is this big, the biggest DNI conversation we'll ever have? One, all the rich folks are laughing all the way to the bank. Are the rich folks seeking to further divide us? Hell yes, they are, right? And so how can we have conversations as DNI leaders? that recognize that as an economic block, right, we have been hoodwinked. We've been taught to fight each other. We've been fought, taught to divide the same tiny ass piece of the pie that keeps getting smaller year after year and blaming each other for it. While 
everyone else at that top 10% continues to get rich because they are driving corporate policy, they're driving legislation through their lobbying dollars. That is a conversation that we need to have. We can't solve this problem independently as a as people with disabilities, as black people, as um you know, poor white people, as an economic block. We have to come together and start to recognize that there are disparities in our ranks that we have to solve for, but this bullshit fighting each other is not going to work for anyone except for the Jeff Bezos of this world. Yeah, but see again, and, and I'm you know on the side of white men, they're going to say, well, but but ours grew at only twelve percent, while yours grew at sixteen percent. So we are losing. What, what do you yes. say to that? Because that is exactly how so many of them, too many, too many are moving through their day to day activity, how they are moving through the corporate quarter, how they are so, moving through unemployment. They will say. Well, yours is growing at 16. They they will say that absent of recognition that they were, you know, football fields ahead of others in terms exactly. of composite, comp, uh, compensation. They will just simply say, well, we haven't kept, uh, we, we're not on par in terms of growth. So, and they are not on par because there was more gap to make up, right? It, it, white women, black women, black men. Um, have a fundamentally further way to go to economic equality than white men. And so by default, those gaps will close at larger percentages because the percentage is, or the gap is so big. But what we've allowed to happen to white men and what they've done to themselves, I'm not making excuses for them. I promise y'all, I am not making excuses for white men. Not at all or white people in general, um, they have been trained by marketing, by their leadership, by this government, by the people who are in power to look and blame women and people of color. It, and I will give you the most transparent, and I'll probably get bullshit for it, um, you sure you example. You sure you ah, fuck them. Yeah, okay. I'll do it. Right. It okay. is, this is the exact same conversation that Hitler had with the Germans as to why they were in such dire straits after World War I because of the reparations that they were required to pay and they didn't want to blame themselves and they didn't want to blame their government. So what did they do? They found people who were of a lower socioeconomic block with less power and blamed them. And I don't think we're going towards the same outcome. But that's how those conversations start. That's how that division by the people in power drive us apart when we should be fighting together and for the same reason, because economically, we're all fucking losing. Yeah. And that's the part that really drives me crazy. Like, you, how is it that you can't see that you are losing? How is it that you can't see? You know, the policy that is being leveraged or instituted or voted upon or explored, how is it that you can't see the way that the organizations are lobbying, as you've mentioned, Julie, or how they are leaning towards that weak ass statement from the business roundtable? I can't get them on Sirius XM. I can't even get them to respond to an email. 
because they probably heard my speech, you know, that I did earlier in the year. Like for real, like you, you want confetti because you want businesses to focus on their employees and not shareholders. Like, 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 why is that? Why is that magical? Why is that? Why is that a big statement? Why is that a press release worthy? And so it's amazing to me how people, people don't understand that for the most part, their wages are are what they were in 1998, 1999, give or take, for the most part. It's like amazing yeah. to me. And, and yet you are sitting here, some of you, blindly arguing that these pot. I heard something on the radio this past week around um, taxes, and I'm not even going to try to re- repeat it because I-, I can't remember. When I heard it, I literally... I literally was at a stoplight, turned the corner, and you know for a moment how you blank out? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still watching the vehicles go by, but I'm like, wow. I I literally was driving and was like, wow. I had no idea. So you're absolutely right. I hope that not only our listeners, but I absolutely hope that people that are wealthy and have some moral compass are saying to themselves, we got to do something different. I'm not trying to take your money. I'm just simply saying for the work that all of us are doing, we probably deserve more of the money. Yeah. That's all. And and you you certainly don't deserve forty two thousand dollars of my money, of my labor. Nineteen seventy five. No. You're talking two generations working on your third generations. Mm-hmm. Think about how much generational wealth has been destroyed. Julie mentioned. Um, the seventeen trillion. I'm not going to take issue with that. I read an article and it's titled uh, "Closing the Racial Inequality Gaps." It was by City. Um, it's the economic cost of black inequality in the U.S. And Julie, you know, talked about it. It was paper done by Dana M. Peterson. She's the director of global economist at City Research, and Catherine L. Mann. Again, she's a global chief economist at Citigroup. And Julie, you were absolutely right. Uh, and I just want to reinforce it. We are going to put the link out. It's 104 pages of reading. But it says that the U.S. has lost $16 trillion due to racism. Not a lack of skill. Not a lack of technical access or prowess. Not creative innovation, although indirectly that's really what it is. $16 trillion. What an incredible story for us to end on. And certainly a data point for all of you folks out there who care about data and you need another report. You need something else to help you with the business case. Grab that. Grab the Citigroup report titled Closing the Racial uh, inequality gaps, $16 trillion law. And, oh, I'm sorry, $16 trillion since 2000. They said if we don't correct it, we'll lose another $5 trillion 
over the next five years. So bottom line is the number and the research, it's out there. Yep, sure is. Um, so name drops for this week. Um, on a super happy note, I just want to send my name drop to Jackie Clayton, um, who has just taken the new position of diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist at a really cool up-and-coming startup called Seek Out. Um, congrats, Jackie. We know you're going to do kick-ass things there um, and, and look forward to hearing about it. Love the work that Seek Out is doing. Love Jackie Clayton for what she is doing and who she is and enjoy her family, you know, when they put the posts up on Facebook, although I haven't been on Facebook in a while, but I love seeing the whole crew in the kitchen dancing and rocking. My name drop happens to be uh, Leah Metcalf. Leah Metcalf, she's not in any way connected to human resources, employer branding, talent acquisition. She is the founder of Carp U, C-A-R-P-E-U. You can find them on the uh, internet at carpu.com. Great, great athletic wear. And I'm sharing it, Julie, because next week I'll be with her brother down in NASCAR filming some incredible content. My audience, this here is the first one to know uh, we are going to film some content with NASCAR. Let me just say something to you. I said this on my Instagram page, Julie, and I'm saying it to my audience now. I ain't the dude to be messed with. When it comes to trying to move this message around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, don't nobody get busy like Torin Ellis. So I'm going to looking forward to being down with NASCAR uh, next week. I want you all to support uh, Leah Metcalf and her uh, team over at CarpU.com. Sounds good. I look forward to seeing what comes out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. In the words of B.B. King, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. I close reminding each and every one of you to be a better human. Share the pod with your digital tribe. And of course, find your voice in the workplace. Have an awesome rest of the week. Catch me on Sirius XM channel 126 this Sunday. I'll actually be talking to Michelle Myers. She recently left one organization and joined Major League Baseball. Love and looking forward to having that conversation. For now, Julie and I are ghosts. See ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom, but do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and, and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King.
Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.